All right. Well, I know everybody gets to say this today, but Happy New Year as well. This is exciting to be. Just the, just the turnover of the calendar gives all of us a good excuse to take a step forward, right? And to say, Lord, what do you want us to change about our lives? Or where do you want us to go next? What do you want me to start doing? What do you want me to stop doing? And, uh, and so I love New Year because I think it just represents a fresh opportunity, right? Even though on a calendar, um, it's just another day. The sun rose the same as normal. Um, but for all of us, we have a marker in our mind, and we can say, all right, what's in the past is in the past, and now there's a future we can look forward to. So as we think about New Year, I, I was reflecting on where we are as Christians in our culture and what we need to be resolving to do next. You know, you can look at every era of history, and you can see different challenges that people face, different needs that the church had or that the world at large had, and, and every generation of Christians has to step up and follow Jesus in the context that they're in to reach the world that's around them. And so I just was doing some introductory thinking on this. We could all probably add to this thought, but I was thinking, what do Christians need to resolve to do uh, in 2023? And uh, so to explore this, rather than me just kind of preaching it as a standard sermon, uh, I want to invite you to explore it with me this morning. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to pull that out. We're going, to, we're going to work it out a little bit today. Kind of like back, remember, maybe some, some of you went to youth group a long time ago and they'd say, hey, sword drill, time to find something in your Bible really fast. We're going to have a hunt. Um, now, now, if you've got a device, that's, that's kind of cheating, right? Because you can just instantly find it. But I encourage you, go ahead and open up your Bible app if that's what you've got in front of you. Uh, because I'd like for you to discover this with me. Um, I've set forward some proposed resolutions for Christians in general, but that's, that's us, right? That's the followers of Jesus. What do we need to do this year? And, and then I want to show you in the Bible why I think those things are important. And maybe this will give you a little bit of a track to run on as you think later today about your own plans for 23. Um, so I'll tell you the way it works in my mind. Usually I feel like up until midnight on 12.31, I'm trying to either do whatever was supposed to happen in the previous year or get through the holidays or deal with parties and families um, or enjoy parties and families, depending on <laughs> how it goes. And, uh, and, and it feels like you wake up on New Year's Day morning and you go, okay, now I can start something new. Right? We've, we've got all the other stuff behind. It's all in the rearview mirror. Lord, where should we go from here? Um, so we're going to look at a few proposed resolutions, and maybe this will help you if you want to adopt some of these resolutions into your lifestyle this year. Okay? So here's the first one. Uh, I believe as a Christian movement, we need to resolve to seek God above the things of the world. Okay? Kind of Christianity 101 there. Um, but if I think about what's the number one thing that's holding our church back and churches in general back, holding you and I back from really living our best life for Christ, say it's probably distraction. Right? I mean, there's lots of things you could name that, that are problems out there. Um, but at, at the end of the day, when I think about why didn't I move forward as a Christian the way I hoped to in 2022, 
It wasn't because of terrible things that happened to me or circumstances that were around me. I mean, those things were factors, but the number one thing that I would have to admit was a problem for me was distraction. Anybody else with me on that? There's just a lot of other things to occupy your mind with or to get carried away with. So it could be distraction of things that feel like they're important, but they're still earthbound. So it could be the distraction of like overfocus on politics or current events or overfocus on job and career, overfocus on family. And those, are, those could be really important, good things. But if that's all your focus is, you're missing eternity, right? So the other thing that becomes a distraction are all the things that actually don't matter on earth or in eternity. Uh, which is just defeating the next level of some silly little game that we would occupy our time playing or, or, or just, just trying to have the next high of fun somewhere and kind of missing the purpose of life in the, in the mix of that, all right? So if you first look in your Bible, and we're going to look these up, um, and that's why I encourage you to have your Bible with you um, so that you can look them up as well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 challenges us to think differently about the world around us. Okay? It says, do not love this world, nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they are from this world. And this world is fading away. We better read that one again. All the things we're holding on to and chasing after that are here, what's happening to those things? They are fading away. They are temporary. This world's fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That is, if you'll dedicate your heart, your motivations, your intentions to eternity in 2023 then the things you do this year will live forever. But if your heart continues to just kind of go after the next craving of what the world's offering out there, you're living a very temporary and ultimately pointless life. Okay? So then Colossians 3, we spent a lot of time in Colossians last year, so hopefully you remember a little bit about this, but Colossians calls us to bring our gaze up from the things of this world. It's not even saying that everything that's on earth you shouldn't look at. I mean, obviously there's things you've got to pay attention to in this world about your earthly life. But that's not where your vision uh, lies. That's not what your heart is tied to. Okay? Here's what Colossians says. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. So a question off of that resolution to say, you know, I really want my focus to be right. I want to seek God, which means that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not just seeking the next dollar, the next A+, the next clean house, whatever it is that you have to seek in this world. Say, Lord, I'm actually seeking you. I'm seeking your will. I'm seeking your purpose. I'm seeking a deeper relationship with you. So here's a question. How will I seek God this year, and when and where will I make that happen? Okay, so just reflect on that. The second part of that question is actually where the rubber meets the road, right? Because any of us could write a great resolution about seeking God this year, 
But then if we wake up tomorrow and just have a normal Monday, as we have always had, nothing will be different. So you have to say, okay, when and where will I make that a priority? Hey, all of you are starting this year off fantastic, right? We're only a few, year, few hours into the new year, and where are you right now? Man, you're in church, and what did we just do? We just sang God's praises, we just had a prayer time, so we're, you're already on track, right? You're already checking this one off so far this year, we got to keep on track, okay? So here's the second proposed resolution for us. We resolve to find our identity in Christ and not primarily in our feelings, our pasts, or even our cultures. Okay, and that's where this world gets so mixed up. Um, because what, what people will do when they don't have Jesus giving them a center in their life is they'll start to look for a center in something else. So it might be their past. It might be, here's who I am and there's just no way that I can change. Here's what happened to me and it's going to define me forever. It might be their culture. They might say, here's the people group I'm a part of, or here's the neighborhood I grew up in, here's the economic status I occupy, and that's me. Say, well, that's not actually you, that's a part of your story, but the center of you can't just be those things, or else it'll be just as empty as the pursuits of anything else that's earthly. Um, feelings. Some people will say, you know, I'm just going to reach deep inside and try to find out who I am, find out what I am. Um, that, that's, a, that, that's a hopeless and very toxic way to live because you end up never satisfied. You, ever, you never know. You, you, you never know how to lock down who and, and what you really are. But when you find your identity in Christ and you say, you know, all the other descriptors that would come off of my life all flow from my central Christian identity, and you've got, you've got then a rock-solid basis upon which you can walk forward into the future. Okay, so here's a few things the scripture says. I'd like you to turn over to 1 Corinthians, and we'll look that one up. It's just a great verse about breaking with our past, finding our identity in what Jesus has done for us. 1 Corinthians 6. This is one I remember early in my Christian life as a teen. Um, I memorized this verse, and I remember just so many times coming back and thinking about it, even in moments of temptation, because I would think, wait, this... I'm being tempted to do this wrong thing, but that's no longer who I am. I have a new identity now. Hey, here's what, here's what that says. Chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people... None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. We could probably modify that statement a little bit, if we're honest, and we could say all of us were once like that. Right? We all have our story of what drove us away from God and what we were doing that, would, that illustrated how far from God we really were. Okay? Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. To say, that's who I am. Jesus died to set me free from all the tethers of this world. So, Lord, I've, I've been cleansed, I've been redeemed, and now I have a new center. And when I wake up in the morning and think, who am I and what am I all about? I get to look at Jesus, not just myself. I get to look at Jesus and say, that's what I'm about. And that's who I'm aiming to become. 
Jesus is the center of our identity. And if we resolve to derive our identity from Christ this year, whatever comes at us, whatever storm happens in your personal life or even in our corporate life or national life, whatever changes we have to deal with or problems that happen, we know who we are because we belong to Jesus first. Okay, so when someone says, tell me about yourself, what will be my 2023 answer to that question? Hey, there's lots of things to say if someone says, hey, tell me about yourself. Um, But how will we bring Jesus to the center of that answer? Here's a third proposed resolution to consider. We resolve to decontaminate our minds from junk, which our world is really good at serving to us, right? So that we can fill them with what is eternal and holy. So I'm sure you've seen in some sort of either a medical thriller type of a show or a space movie where they had to go into a decontamination chamber, right? What happens in that chamber? You step in and, you know, maybe you've got your scrubs on or maybe you have some sort of hazmat suit on, but that's not enough because, like, what if some little germ is stuck to that? So what do they do in the decontamination chamber? They fire a bunch of chemicals at you. They steam you. They do whatever they think is going to kill that pathogen to make sure it doesn't come in or out with you. They're totally decontaminating. So when you step into that next environment, you are pure. Right? So in a way, you could look at your mind and you could say, there's a lot of contamination that can accumulate in our minds. It can be the obvious things like you know, porn and... Uh, hateful thoughts and anger and things like that that are you know, very clearly contamination in our mind. It could also be a whole bunch of accumulated contamination of just the complaining and bad attitudes and lack of gratefulness in people. And you just realize one day, I've just got a sour attitude. Well, that's, that can be cleansed out of us, but we do have to choose to change what we're putting into our mind if we want to change what occupies our mind. So here's a couple scriptures on that. Uh, One that I really like is Philippians 4.8. There's a couple others you can look up as well, but Philippians 4.8, I did a challenge one time with this verse that was, I don't know, maybe a little bit discouraging in a way. Somebody said, hey, take Philippians 4.8, write it out on a note card, and tape it to your television or your computer. And then any time that something happens that doesn't fit the verse, turn it off. And you go, well, wait a minute. That means I can't watch anything, right? So let's read the verse, and you can judge for yourself what might actually pass the Philippians 4.8 test. Here it is. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is after all the book of Philippians. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, there it is, right? You can look at the things. You say, is this thing that I'm listening to or considering or holding on to, is this thing worthy of praise? Like, is this something you could put up and say, hey, everybody, look what I'm doing. Look how great this is. Um, Look at how this honors God. Look at how this illustrates purity. And so you could go through the the websites you visit, the apps that are on your phone. You could think about the music that you're listening to. You could think about uh, movies you see. You could think about the the jokes that you tell or the friends you're hanging out with. You know, just keep going through your life and saying, you know, the thing that I want to occupy my mind 
is what would be eternal and holy, the lovely, admirable, pure, joyful things uh, that celebrate what's right in this world. Hey, now, here's the thing. The world around us isn't going to support an ethic like that, are they? Um, the, the trend of, of all things is toward the negative unless Jesus redeems them. And so if there's anyone in this world in 2023 that will have some sort of, some sort of pursuit of holiness and purity and what's right, it'll be us. And if we let that go, I don't know that anyone else will hold it. Okay, so that could be a resolution. So say, Lord, in what way do you want me to change what's flowing into my mind in 2023? And that's, a, that's one of those uncomfortable questions that you say, well, if I answer that fully, like that could change everything that I do. Well, maybe. Um, it might change how you do it. It might change the rate at which you do it. Um, it might change the number of hours you spend on one thing versus another. You could also think about the positive side of it. How could I flow more good into my mind? It's not just about turning something off. Say, Lord, how could I make space this year for more of your word or more, more things that would honor you or would call me up to what's lovely and admirable? All right, so that's a proposed resolution to think about. Hey, here's number four. We resolve to love people the way Jesus loves us which sounds kind of slick to say, it's really simple, but I just want you to pause and think about in what way Jesus loves you. Say, so, you know, if we're going to shine and stand out in this world, a world filled with anger and hate and war and dis discord and division, um, our love will have to stand out orders of magnitude brighter than all of that, which means we can't participate in all of that. Um, we are called to something different. So we say, Lord, would you help me to actually live a life of love the way that you loved? Now, what did Jesus say about love? In, uh, remember when the disciples were gathered around and there was a, kind of getting ready for the Last Supper, he's washing their feet, and he says, a new command I give you, I want you to love each other, how? As I have loved you. So as Jesus is getting ready to sort of hand the reins of leadership over to his disciples, he says, here's the thing you have to get. If you miss this one, none of the other stuff you've studied is going to count. You have to love each other the way I've loved you. And then a few verses later, in John 15, 13, he said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Actually lay down you what you want maybe that's physically like jesus actually died for his friends for us uh, but maybe it means you lay aside something that you would otherwise hold on to if the world was just about you but you say no i'm willing to lay things aside to love other people i'll lay aside my preferences to love other people i'll lay aside my preconceived notions i'll lay aside my comforts i'll lay aside my money i'll lay aside my path forward to help someone else. It could be the person right next to you in your family. It could be someone you've never met, the neighbor that you're going to love as much as you love yourself. So you say, Lord, would you help me this year to actually walk in love? Okay? What am I willing to lay aside in 23 so that I can extend God's love? So as we go through these, what I'm suggesting, and by the way, there was a famous American preacher, some of you might have heard of, Jonathan Edwards, and when he wrote resolutions, does anybody remember how many resolutions he wrote? There were like 70, 
So I'm only giving you six, all right? So if you feel like, man, this is kind of heavy, it could be worse, right? Jonathan Edwards could be our pastor this morning. So um, we're almost done. How about number five? We resolve to grow the Christian movement by directly sharing Jesus with the world. This is something that honestly in the last generation of church life, um, I don't think is happening system-wide. I'm thinking beyond just BCBC. Thinking about culturally, we've gotten into a scenario where we're thinking it's a pretty good thing if we can just keep it together inside the church. We're thinking it's a pretty good thing if we can just tell our own children about Jesus. But if we're going to grow the Christian movement, then there has to be something where we're stepping outside of what we're familiar with and what we value and saying, okay, how do we actually reach the world around us? So that starts in us, right? That's not necessarily a church strategy discussion. We can do that. It's part of church strategy. But this is actually really personal, where you say it would be easier to leave this one out. It would be easier to seek God and decontaminate our minds and, and have we really, really love the people around us. But this is where we start stepping outside of what's familiar, and we say part of our mission here um, is we have to engage the world around us with the truth and love of Jesus. That's not easy to do. That takes effort. That takes energy. Uh, Acts 1.8, um, that's when Jesus said, hey, as you go to wherever you're going to go, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then off to the ends of the earth, I want you to be my witnesses. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to do that, uh, but you have to carry that that heart of saying, my job is actually to testify to what Jesus has done and invite others to participate with that. I wanted us to look up 1 Corinthians 9 for this one. Um, this verse is really challenging to me because this tells us that there's a higher vision for how we think about loving others and engaging with others than so that you think of it this way, there's one part of the vision is to say to them, hey, would you come and join us? And we would do that, right? We do that, in essence, we're doing that all the time as a church, then come and join us. But there's another element where we go to them where they are. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about his ministry, starting in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, so he's saying, you know, under Jesus Technically, I can do the things that I want to do, and nobody can really tell me differently. And we would all probably say, amen, man, Paul should have been an American citizen. He was getting the idea. Uh, well, even though I'm a free man with no master, here it comes, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like the Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Isn't that interesting? So Paul's, essentially his value equation out there to the world around him was not, 
hey, I have the right way of life right here. If you want it, come and get it. It's not how he was presenting the gospel. He was saying, hey, how can I step into your world, your way of thinking, and if I, if I have to play some other part to, to get that open door, I'll play it. Um, if, if I have to change something, I'll, I'll change it. If I, if I need to act like a Jew so that I can sit among you and then share Jesus with you, of course I would do that. If I have to set all that aside and not follow those customs so that I can follow, I'll do that too. Um, everyone that I'm meeting, my actual higher aim is not to try to prove something to them. It's actually to invite them into the life of Jesus, which transcends all those other identities. So that's something to think about, to pray about. Say, Lord, how do you want me to set myself aside this year so that I really can reach people where they are? Okay, and then here's the last one. Well, here's a question about that. Where will I focus my energy in 23 so that I can reach more people? Um, Then here's the final proposed resolution. We resolve to do whatever it takes to disciple the next generation. So, of course, we've talked about this many times here in our church because we know it's, it's critical, right? If, the, if people younger than we are aren't catching the vision and carrying it on, then it dies with us. So you can think about your life, your impact, and you start to say, okay, Lord, who can I invest in that's younger than I am? And if all of us think that way, now some of you out there, you say, well, wait, I think I am like young right now. I'm 12 or I'm 8 or I'm 14. Say, well, you still, you too can take up this challenge, right? You can say, how could I invest in someone younger than I am? So all of us can think of someone younger than we are. And all of us can say, all right, Lord, how could I invest in that person? Pray with them, disciple them, mentor them, invite them. Let them be a part of our Christian life so that it passes forward to the next generation. If you just rely on the church kind of corporately to do that, I can guarantee you that the Christian movement in our part of the world will continue to stumble because churches as organizations can't make disciples. Who can make disciples? You can and I can as people. So the church is a format, it's a tool, it's a helpful structure through which disciples can be made and taught, but it in itself isn't the answer. So later this year, we're going to talk, to talk to you about really fun plans we have to renovate the children's wing on the other side of the building, uh, or ways that we want to reach out in the community uh, in 2023 that, that hopefully would engage more and more young people. That's, those are going to be really fun discussions, but those in and of themselves won't be enough to win the next generation. You personally will have to engage. You personally will have to get involved in saying, Lord, who can I disciple who's younger than I am? Okay, 2 Timothy 2.2 sets that pattern where Paul says, hey, I've given you this truth. I've trained you. Now your job is to go train the next generation and their job is to train the next generation. And so we're a link in that chain. And thankfully, for 2,000 years, that's been happening. Uh, And now it's our turn. So we say, Lord, this year, would you put someone in my mind who's younger than I am that I could make a real investment into? What will I change, invest, or prioritize to disciple younger people in 2023? So all together we can talk about that, and then very personally we can pray and think about that. 